text before us this morning is John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. It says here, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. From the very beginning, God began to speak to mankind with words as far as our existence, how we should live. In Genesis 1, 28, it tells us that he says to to man, to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He instructs them. He tells them, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And what happens? They eat of it. The command is given. This is what it is to please me. This is how you ought to live. This is what I'm calling you towards. And you see man fall into sin. But rather than just leave man in his sin, you see God going forward and saying as he goes through the garden, Adam, where are you? Not only that, but we see him come from, from there to, to say to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we find that that. Here in, in, in Genesis 3, the gospel starts coming forth as far as from the seed of the woman, the serpent's head would be bruised. Words that they clung to. When, when my kids are in trouble, which happens frequently with some of them, you, you know how you, you remember getting in trouble, right? I, I remember getting into trouble. It happened frequently with me. Not as much as my siblings, but it still happened a lot with me. Um, just kidding, my siblings are here. Most of them. But they they go to the room and they just wait like daddy's coming up. I can hear him coming up. And you know they're just like this could be bad. They know what they did. They know how it was wrong. And they just wait. And I come up and sometimes it's, okay, you know. A lot of times I'll ask them, like, if you do this, what happens? I get a spanking. You know, and they just know, like, that's, that's coming. And there's sometimes where I'll say, okay, I'm going to show you grace. And their countenance will just radically change when that happens. Like, it's like there's hope I might survive. Like, I mean, it changes radically for them when they they hear like, okay, I'm going to show you grace, but 
if you do this again. And, and so you see with Adam and Eve, they've fallen. They've sinned. If you eat of this, you will surely die. And then you hear the gospel come forward from the seed of the woman. His head is going to be crushed. And there's hope. You watch God with his words minister to his people. He continues to reveal his plan to redeem mankind through the covenants that he makes with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You see that he reveals himself and his plan through specific words of judgment and grace and commands and covenants. And and they hold on to his every word, every promise because of the greatness of their sin and their desperate need of grace. Moses is used to give the very words of Almighty God to his people during the time of the Exodus. God even writes the commands with his finger into tablets of stone. From Moses, you see God continue to use words to the prophets to reveal his perfect will, his absolute truths, his plan of redemption, and the Messiah who is to come. Peter tells us, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that is how God was working. Speaking through prophets, speaking through his people, speaking to man himself, giving words that are able to to be comfort to us, that are able to, to enable us to understand that there is hope in the gospel, to be able to show us what it is that pleases him, to be able to show us the law and to show us our desperate need of a savior. Words that are given to make it so that there's just no doubt that Christ, in fact, is the Messiah. And you go through the Old Testament and you just look book after book, chapter after chapter. All of it is pointing to Christ who is to come. The Holy Spirit's just working mightily in, 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 in and through these, these people and writing exactly what he wants for mankind. We study in, in God's word and we see the way in which those during the time of the Old Testament viewed God's word. To them, it was precious. Not to all of them. I mean, we see God's people disobeying. We see God's people rebelling. We see God's people falling into, into all kinds of sin and having hardness of heart and not doing what God calls them to do. But at the same time, you hear the psalmist, like in Psalm 19, where he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. Your words, they're perfect. The result of it and the perfection of God's word is that our souls are revived or they're refreshed or they're, they're converted, they're changed forever. His words are perfect and it just radically changes us, the psalmist says. Scripture, sure, it's trustworthy. The absolute truths found in God's word can make simple people wise. They understood it. They're, they're proclaiming these things. They're singing these things. They're saying, your word, it's so pure, it makes the simple wise. It gives us wisdom. It's trustworthy. They say things like the truth and perfection of God's word causes rejoicing in our hearts. 
We know that we can trust what you say. We know that when these things have been written down and you've spoken through Moses or you've spoken through the prophets, you've spoken through these people, it's trustworthy and our souls can have joy in them and for us as well. This is the word of God. The authority of God's word is such that the very words can make hearts that are grieving, hearts that are hopeless, change radically and be converted to a place of hearts that are overflowing with joy. It's the word of God. The purity of his commandments enlighten our eyes, they say. They say God's perfect word is to be more desirable than gold. If I have a choice between gold or your word, I would pick your word over gold any day, the psalmist says. We're told by the psalmist that God's word is sweeter than honey. Than honey. God's word warns us. Tells us, and we keep his word. When we keep his word, we're told that there's great reward. In Psalm 119, we find the psalmist continuing to say things like, His word must be fully obeyed. He's calling upon God to enable him to not stray from his commands. He's memorizing God's word and holding God's word in his heart that he might not sin against God. The psalmist says that he meditates on God's word, that he delights in God's word, that he doesn't want to neglect God's word, that he's consumed with God's word, that God's word strengthens him and it counsels him and it teaches him and it comforts him and it gives him hope and is a light unto his path. It says in in Psalm 119 that that his word, scripture, is, is more precious than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. More precious than Thousands of pieces of silver and gold. He says that he rejoices over God's word like someone who finds a great treasure. Rejoices. He says that he loves God's word exceedingly. He rises from the dawning of the morning and his eyes stay open in the night watches so that he can hope and meditate on God's word. God's word meant everything to them. The revelation of God's word so that they know who God is and what he desires and and the covenants in which he's made and the hope that they have for salvation and the future that is in store for them. It changes everything for the readers of God's word. God chose to write and to speak and to give words so that they would affect us in the most incredible way as our hearts are just overflowing with joy as a result of God's word. In Deuteronomy, you you hear God say to his people regarding his word, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall they shall be as, the, as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Write it everywhere. 
Write your word. Make it so that it's there before you, so that you're memorizing it, so that you're hoping in it, so that you're thinking of God's word. Because his word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is able to pierce. His word does not return void. In his word, we find the gospel. And so Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. He's been telling them all that is to take place and going through them and telling them the the promises that are coming and in his father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I've gone to prepare a place for you. He's going through and, and ministering to these disciples in the final hours of his life. But then he comes to the disciples in verse 12 and says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I still have many things to tell you, but right now, you can't bear them. What incredible tenderness and loving consideration towards the disciples. We're in the final hours of the life of Christ, and he's saying, I'd like to tell you more, but right now, you, you can't handle it. It's more than you can handle. There's so much the disciples did not yet understand. Jesus had already said many things that contained incredible, incredible truths regarding who he was and where he came from and, and, what he was, and, and that he was about to be betrayed and falsely accused and mocked and scourged and spit upon and killed and even revealed that, that he was about to, what he's about to accomplish through the cross and that he'd rise again on the third day, but they did not understand. He had taught them so much and you find it over and over, they did not understand. And at this time, they were not able to comprehend or bear the current revelation. If he were to give them every detail of the night, it would be far more than they could bear. And so he says, right now, you can't bear it. However, verse 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. However, it's okay that I don't tell you the things that I want to tell you right now because you can't bear it. It's okay because when he, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, when he comes... He'll guide you into all truth. This proclamation of the Holy Spirit's coming and he is going to reveal to you all truth. And there's, before the word truth, in some of your translations, it'll say, in all the truth, which is rightly translated. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he is going to teach you. He's going to guide you into all all of the truth. And he did that. We find the Holy Spirit coming and ministering to the disciples and speaking through them as they wrote the Word of God, the New Testament. There's nothing that we should look at and think, oh, I wonder what he was going to tell them right then. I wonder like, if, if they were tough enough, if they could have been able to bear it, I wonder what they would have learned if he would have just gone and said, like, okay, now I'm going to tell you about all of these other things as well. 
Jesus is saying, like, it's okay. There's a lot more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. But don't worry. When he, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll tell you everything that you need to know. Arthur Pink says, with reference to the phrase, he will guide you. He says, there's three classes of people who need to be guided. Those who are blind, those who are too weak to walk alone, or those journeying through an unknown country. Three kinds of people that need guiding. And he goes from there saying, and we're all of them. We are blind. In a place where our hearts were hard, our eyes were we're, we're blind. It was darkened to us to where we needed the Holy Spirit to bring life to us. We needed the, the Holy Spirit to enlighten us. We needed the Holy Spirit to make us able to see things that natural man can't see, but only spiritual can see. We needed the Holy Spirit to work in us and in just incredible ways to make it so that we understood his word. He guides us. Those who are too weak to walk alone need a guide. I, I, when I read that, I, I, I pictured these men in Sudan who would be blind. And they'd have little boys that would walk, or a little girl that would walk and carry a stick, and they'd hold a stick, and they would just walk wherever the kid walked, you know, like, take me to Uncle, you know, so-and-so's house, and they would just walk and hold a stick, and the kids would take them. But you see it also where somebody's just weak, and they need someone to help them get to wherever it is that they're trying to go. That's us. We're weak. We have no ability to just make it so that we have everything figured out. We, we don't know anything unless it's been revealed to us. All that's in the New Testament of all that Christ has done, all that's in the Old Testament, we wouldn't have known any of it apart from God revealing it to us. We needed a guide than those journeying through an unknown country. When I've gone to different countries, I, I frequently will, will bring a guide with me, not bring a guide with me, but have someone meet me that speaks the language. It's important, especially when you're someplace where you don't speak the language at all. To have someone that can speak the language and to be able to say, like, hey, we're going here, or we're going to do this, and, and we're going to go meet these people and, and have them translate all the way through and I have had different people that have just ministered to me and helped me in just incredible ways I think of being in Vietnam and having a man just take me to the house churches and take me everywhere I was supposed to go and he would put me on the back of his motorbike little scooter and if you've I I don't know if you've been there, but it, it's nuts. It, you, you're in, you're on these motorbikes, and there's like millions of them. And they're like, you know, they're just cranking. And you, you're, you're bumping up against people as you're driving, and they, you know, they make me put a handkerchief over my face because they said my, my nose is so big, they'll know I'm not Vietnamese. And so I, I'm covering my face and, you know, going to wherever it is that I'm supposed to go to. And it's crazy. You go across a street, and you can picture a street with motorbikes, and they're like, 
whatever you're picturing in your mind, there's like more. Okay, so it's it's just it's just nuts. They're just cranking super fast, and they're like, we're gonna cross the street, and you're looking, just going like, I can't cross the street, and they're like, yeah, just just step out. They'll go around you, and so you take a step, and they're all right around you. You can feel them hitting your clothes, you know, and you take another step, and then they just and you just keep doing that until you get all the way across. They're there to answer questions for you, like. One of the best questions I ever asked my guide in Vietnam was, so you guys, like, really, you really eat dog? I asked, and they're like, yes. So what's your favorite kind? <laughs> well, that's an appropriate question, right? What's the best kind if you're going to have one? And I just remember him saying, like, I don't, I don't know the name. Um, small, I think it's called Puppy. Oh, that's what I did. I'm like, oh, dude, you go to jail in America if you said something like that. (laughs) But guides that just take you and they lead you and they take you where you need to go. Tasha and I went to Vietnam and there was a girl that was helping us. And it's one of Tasha's best memories because she wouldn't let me hold the umbrella. And it was dumping. We had one umbrella and it was dumping. And she was too short because I'm so huge. She was too short to hold it higher than my head. So the water just drenched me the entire time. Wherever we went, I would just come out like I got hit by a wave. But you have guides that are there just to take you to wherever you need to go. And he's our guide. The Holy Spirit is our guide. He takes us exactly where we need to go. He guides us into all truth. All truth. I want to camp here for a moment because when it tells us here that the spirit of truth, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. It is absolutely vital for us to understand that the Bibles that you have before you are true. Not only true, but without error. They are inerrant. God's word has been attacked for most of the last century. And there's those within several universities and within several denominations where they no longer hold to the Bible being without error. For us as a church, and for many other churches in our area and throughout our nation, we hold as strongly as possible to God's word being without error. Within our statement of faith for us as a church, I'll read it to you in case you have never read it before, but under the section of Scripture, this is what the elders have said and what we believe as a church. We believe the Scriptures consisting of the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament to be the inspired word of God without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of God's will for the salvation of men and the divine and final authority for Christian faith in life. The scriptures are the authoritative, normative rule and guide of all Christian life, practice, and doctrine. They are totally sufficient and must not be added to, superseded, 
or changed by later tradition, extra-biblical revelation, culture, or worldly wisdom. We believe God's word to be without error. It cannot be added to. It cannot be changed. It cannot be looked about differently based upon the ways in which worldly wisdom changes or culture changes or what other people have written. We believe it to be the inspired word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. When it says that it's given by inspiration of God, it means that it is God-breathed. It's God-breathed. Exactly what God wanted us to understand about who he is and what he has done and how he saved us and who we are and all that is to take place in the future and what it is to please him. Exactly, word for word, what it is that he would want to communicate to us is found in Scripture. Without error. Without error. It's so important that we see God's word to be that way. It's so important that not only do we see his word to be that way, but that we, we live in such a way as if we believe that. You, you hear in John seventeen seventeen where it says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Um, you find the, the truthfulness of God's word portrayed all throughout Scripture. 2 Samuel 7.28 Lord God, you are God and your words are true. Proverbs 30 verse 5 Every word of God is pure. Titus 1.2 Hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Also in Hebrews 6.18, there's two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that's set before us. He, he does not lie. Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver tried in a furnace of earth, of earth purified seven times. You hear Jesus say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word. It is perfect. To think that there's untruths within Scripture is totally inconsistent with the view of having and serving a God who is sovereign, who knows all things, who does not lie, and has the ability to Record these things for us. It matters. When he, the spirit of truth has come, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll teach you. He'll bring these things to your remembrance so that you can write down what's there in the New Testament. He'll guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, 
But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He'll write to you exactly what the Father desires to be written. Exactly what it is that Christ would have desired to tell the disciples if they could bear it. He will tell them exactly what it is that the triune God desires for them to know. Exactly. You may became here this morning already trusting that I believe this is the inerrant word of God. But I think it's possible for us to come in and know that. But the way in which we live is not consistent with that. We don't hold to the promises the way that we ought to. We don't search God's word as as the very words of God speaking to our hearts. We go to counsel in all different ways, in all different areas, before we go to God's word and say, what is the truth that he's taught us here? We think that we're the exception to the rule, like, okay, I know God said that, but I'm I'm, going to do it this way. We do all kinds of things that make it so that in the way that we live, it doesn't reflect those that believe that this is the very breathed out word of God without error that is authoritative, that is truth, that can radically change our lives and teaches us what it is to live in a way that pleases him and gives us a hope for now and for all eternity. May God help us to see God's word that way. May God help us to, to, to not read the psalmist saying things like, it's better than gold. Or it's, it's sweeter than honey. But to have it be within our own minds in which we are proclaiming these things. We are saying these things. We sit down in God's word and say, this is better. It's better than any money that I could ever get. Any gold or silver that I could ever get. It's sweeter than, it's sweeter than the sweetest honey I could ever possibly imagine. That's what God's word is to me. And I love it. And I just want to spend time in it. And I just want to... Feast upon it because these are the words of Almighty God towards me and they're authoritative. I can trust it. It's without error. It gives me hope. May that be us. And talking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus goes on in verse 14. He says, he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. He'll glorify me. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Verse 15. He'll take these things and he'll declare it to you. He'll declare it to you and you'll write these things down and you'll, you'll have it be there to where it is coming from Christ. It's exactly what the disciples will need to hear and you go through and you just find doctrine after doctrine, historical event after historical event, future thing, prophecy that says this is what it's going to be like. This is what is to come. This is what the new heaven and the new earth will be like. This is what it's going to be like in heaven. And this is the hope that you have. He is going to tell you all these things. He will declare it to you. He will glorify me. And did he do that? Absolutely. Absolutely he did. you, You picture the disciples and they all flee when Christ is arrested. But the Holy Spirit comes and he ministers to their hearts in such a way that there's boldness to proclaim the gospel. They're, 
there is such within their hearts that they write these things. They remember these things. They remember exactly what it was that he said, exactly what God wanted to reveal. And it gives them hope for the rest of their lives. It fuels them to go to the uttermost parts of the world. It fuels them to do everything that God's calling them to do, just like it will fuel us. The Holy Spirit will work in such a way that he will fuel us to reach out to the homeless. He'll fuel us to go to Utah. He'll fuel us to minister the gospel to our family or to our neighbor or to a a person at work or someone at school. It will fuel us to worship him. It'll fuel us to be at a place of, of wanting to love our wives properly or love our husbands properly or to raise our kids in the ways of the Lord or to obey our parents. It will fuel us to to run from the stuff of this world and to run from all that the enemy or the world throws at us. It'll cause us to want to honor him because the Holy Spirit is glorifying Christ to us to show us that he's more precious than anything this world could ever offer. He fuels us to do that. But you look at the way that your life was prior to being a Christian, and it may have been all consumed with gold, or all consumed with silver, or all consumed with whatever it was that fed your flesh. But the Holy Spirit came within you and radically changed you to where you glorified Christ over those things. And he continues to work in you and to change your affections and to change you as you are purified both by the Holy Spirit working in your heart and through him working through you, specifically through his word and through the church and through those ministering to you with all the gifts that he's purposed to give to each one of the people who are here. And he does that, molding you and conforming you into the image of Christ. Jesus said, he will glorify me. He will do that. He will work that in your life. And he has. All that the Father has are mine, the deity of Christ. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. We see it in 1 Corinthians 2 where it says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God's revealed those things to us through the Spirit. What is it that God has for us? What is it to be washed by? Of your sins? What is it to be clothed with robes of righteousness? What is it to be saved by faith alone? What is it to be sealed with the Holy Spirit? What is it to have an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled that doesn't fade away? What is it to have these things and it just the Holy Spirit works in us to be able to show us this is what's in store for you. This is what you have. This is your inheritance. This is who your God is. This is who you'll spend all eternity with. And Christ is glorified, He is exalted. And so Jesus, in the final hours of his life, when they can't bear anymore, he says, he, the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. He'll give you the word of God.
it will be perfect. It will be trustworthy. He'll glorify me. He'll take what's mine and he'll declare it to you. Praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord for his word. May it be to us more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that the truths that we found here this morning, the truths that are found in your word, the way that you give commands and covenants, the way you give us a hope for all eternity, I pray, Lord, that it would just fuel us to hate the stuff of this world and to go hard after the things of your kingdom. May it just fuel us to to worship you this morning and to leave this place joyfully desiring to proclaim the good news. May our understanding of you, Christ, may our love for you affect our relationships, affect the way that we work, affect the way that we play, our entertainment, the way we spend our leisure time, the way we use our resources, the way we use our time. May you, through your awesomeness, your glory, the way that your Holy Spirit has glorified you to us this morning, give feet to us to serve you wholeheartedly, and to worship you with all that is within us. We plead with you, Lord, to work that in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.